When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Again, yes. keeps coming back to dumping on Rami here. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. I can't put my finger on it, uh, Doogie guy. I just can't. But, but the talent's there, man. I, I for whatever reason, is is just having. You know, and at some point, you got to say. You know, Bill Parcells used to say, "You are what you are now." And and and, and for all of us who love Andrew and, and and want the best for him, at some point, he's got to look in the mirror and realize the numbers that he's putting up and the way and manner in which he's doing it. That's going to define who he is. Sam Mitchell. That was Sam Mitchell earlier this week talking about Andrew Wiggins, and we got a we got a, an Andrew Wiggins thing we need to get to here in a second. But Rami, you just filled in on Purple Daily. I did, right? Yes. Little little ask Boone anything action. Yeah, we today. played ask Boone anything, not just football questions, all kinds of questions. Like, would you rather fight twenty chickens or what was it? Twenty chicken sized horses or one horse sized chicken? Yeah, what would you rather do? Would you rather fight twenty chicken sized horses or one chicken sized horse or one horse sized chicken or whatever? <laughs> um. I'll take the ladder just to get it done quicker. Just to, to die, to so die so quicker. I'm probably going to die regardless. You're okay being killed by a horse-sized chicken? Yeah, because it'd be quicker because I feel like it'd be I death by... I want to write that obituary. It'd be death by a thousand paper cuts to go with the former. So, because uh, I, I have one. I, I, Jonathan just got Boone back on the phone here. Alex Boone, we got one more for you. All right, one more. Better be good, Phil. Oh, it's good. How many kindergartners would it take to kill you? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So here's my question. Are they all like, is this like they're coming at me all at once, or is it like one at a time? Like, how long do I wear? It's a mob. It's a swarm. It's a swarm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, one at a time, it would, I mean. It's like a zombie horde. Yeah. You can just kick them out of the way. Yeah. They're they're all coming at you, and they're all, they're all working together to whatever degree kindergartners can work together. How many would would it take to kill you? Probably, probably 25. 25. That's it? Really? That's not that many, really, if you think about it. That's pretty small people. Kindergartners? Have you ever have you ever fought off a kindergartner? I have four of them in my house. Have you ever fought off one? They're not, that exa- they're not that strong. They're very exhausting. Though. They have a ton of energy. You say that, but they're crazy. They'll bite you. Yeah. They don't care. There is no right or wrong to them. They are relentless. They are. Who doesn't? You, Phil, you have, you don't have kids. Judd, you have kids? No, thank God, no. I don't either. See, I'm the only one on the show that has kids. Laughing at me. Hey, you guys might have been like realistically, you might be like ten. <laughs> 
Ten could get me. That's going. what I like, said. Just, yeah, dude, I could take twenty-five kindergartners. I don't think so. I could take twenty-five. I know how they come at me. That's why I said twenty-five. I'm prepared. I got kids. I know how you're going to come at me. I took, ready, 50, I I took fifteen of them in well, college one time. It, it sounds like it sounds like Alex Boone has given this some thought. I know how they're going to come. I game plan for this, I'm, dude. I'm, you got to be prepared. These kids are always evolving. <laughs> Oh. 20, 25. 25 is the number. All right. 25 is my number. All right. Thanks, Booney. Thanks, Boone. A lot of Thank fun you, today, man. man. All right. See ya. See you, buddy. That's, uh, that's Alex Boone, former Vikings offensive lineman. 25. He's got experience, man. I don't. He's right. I don't have kids. I've never had to fight off four kindergartners, much less 25. So <laughs> he knows. He would know. Man. I mean, just imagine, like, Philip Rivers has to fight them off every day at home, right? But I just feel like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just feel like if I'm really... That's a him problem, if too. I, if I'm just flailing, <laughs> punching and kicking full force while this swarm of kindergartners is coming at me, I feel like I'm going to I'm gonna take at least the first 10 down, right? Yeah. Just with the... just If it's full force, punches and kicks, I can't believe we're having this conversation on the <laughs> yeah, radio. you're actually not talking and about I'm just, and I'm just harming children. Yes, if I, and I'm, I'm, 10 of them are going down, like, immediately, right? <laughs> Hypothetically. And, and then it's a matter of fighting. Actually then it's a matter of overcoming the swarm. Yeah, that's the problem. That's right. where it gets you. Yeah. I feel like the swarm would get, get to you eventually. The swarm yeah. would get you to get to you because of the sheer energy alone. Who's in the shape here too? That that's the problem. Yeah, Bo- well, Boone's in shape, and he's at twenty five. Yeah, Boone's in great shape, but yeah, we're screwed at, at on this show. We, we'd be gasping for air after two. How much yeah. does a kindergartner weigh? <laughs> Six five one six four six eight two. Jonathan knows. Six five one six four six eight two five. Forty or fifty? Then we're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, if if yeah, like, but they they're not going to work together the way that adults would work. Yeah, if like, if they like, don't have that hive mind like adults like could ten, have. If like ten of them climb on you, man, you're yeah. going down. And Jonathan's right about it. you're going down just or, on the sheer weight. Rami's right because they they wouldn't purposely work together, but once they started to climb on you, then they would see it was working, and then it would become <laughs> yeah, like a swarm of bees. It'd yeah. be bad. It'd get uh, ugly. Ask Alex Boone. I'm not yeah. doing. I'm not doing that. Was unveiled today. I'm not doing that. Athlete challenge. We're not doing that. No. Challenge. No. No. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not putting myself in harm's way. I'm not worried about the kids. I'm worried about me. Of course. Yeah. Of course. For sure. Let's be clear on that. Not so, my kids. Yeah. So, gentlemen, we have uh, we have Sage football wisdom at 4:30 today. We've got in other news at 5:30 today. But let's start with a potential dream that has died. And I'm and I've and I've been the one that has been leading this dream going back about three four months. This is from the Star Tribune's report off last night's Timberwolves loss in Chicago, their seventh straight loss. Zach Levine was the one that stuck the dagger in with a three pointer, yeah. untied okay. the game with like twenty five seconds to go. Ryan Saunders was mad as hell and he wasn't going to take it anymore. He wasn't going to take the first half anymore, anyways. And the Timberwolves one seventeen to one ten loss to the Bulls on Wednesday night. The Wolves committed nine first-quarter turnovers and were down by as many as 19 to a team that isn't exactly the cream of the NBA crop. In the halftime locker room, Ryan Saunders was mad at the entire team and had a, quote, one-sided conversation with them. Saunders said, I mean, you can call it a conversation if you want. But he directed some of his ire at one player in particular, (laughs) Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins seemed as if he was in witness protection during the first half. Three points, four turnovers. And Ryan Saunders made sure to let Wiggins know he was displeased with the first half effort. Quote from Wiggins, he was yelling at me a lot of the time at <laughs> halftime. I needed it. The first half was a bad first half. I wasn't aggressive. I was settling. 
Andrew Wiggins started the season off, and it was the best month of his career, basically. I think I have him starting in the All-Star game for a write-that-down prediction, do I not? Do we, that first month. Do we now see that people, in this sense, don't change? We can cross that off. Is the dream dead? You can put that in the Absolutely red. dead. He's not going to change. He's going to go through more. I mean, this is not... This is him now back probably his rookie year. So I think that there's more there as far as effort on certain nights. But the dream is dead as far as a turnaround that's going to be of substantial measure or any real length of time. I think this is just him. Well, here's the audit. He does still have career highs in rebounds, assists, and offensive efficiency, mostly because they've gotten him to stop taking so many of those mid-range jumpers. He still takes... A fair amount, but he's taking way less than at any point in his career. So by by what I've noticed is he's rebounding and passing more than he has before. He's so he's a little bit more active on offense with with assists and, and grabbing maybe one or two rebounds once in a while. But his offensive game really hasn't changed a lot, other than just like he hasn't sh- by just not shooting the dumb shots. He's more efficient, right? And he still can't shoot overall. He plays very little defense, and he and he's still one of the highest paid players in the league in a salary cap league, and that's not good for the Wolves. So, and last night he clearly fell asleep again, which he's prone to do. There's just too many. There's too many deficiencies to think that it's truly going to change to a degree at which we at one time had hoped. How about that? Yeah, I'm the most dejected one here because like well, you he has been better. He's been better. Mm. Phil, you talk. I'm pretty dejected because of my write that down prediction. Yeah. Really? Only because of my write that down prediction. Yeah, I want that. I want that trophy. If you ever bring it back, well, one I will someday when I recall to. But two, mm-hmm. it, it's you. You don't have it. Jonathan has it right now. I know. I want it next year. Oh. I want to take the twenty twenty crown. You're not going to get him in the All Star game. Write that down. Rami will hit Judd with the bat trophy. <laughs> <laughs> if he ever gets his hands on it. <laughs> the greatest trophy in the world for knocking ice blocks off the uh, bottom of your car. But I, I guess I guess the question would be here because of how much money he makes is that has he done enough? Because he so he is rebounding more, he is assisting more, and he is more efficient offensively. And he's not the train wreck player he was the last couple of years, but obviously he has settled into being some something between train wreck and what you thought he would be in the first month. Is there anything like if you're in, is there another team in the NBA? Is there a dumb fantasy owner GM out there somewhere that would look at what he's done in these first few months with this new regime and say, "All right, what the hell? We'll we'll take a flyer on this guy." No. Are they just stuck? Are they stuck with this? It sounds like from the, the people that you talked to that were back to they probably wouldn't have to attach as much as many assets to him as they would have a season ago at this time to trade him, but you're going to have to do that again. But you got to consider that at some point, right? Man. The summer, you've got to consider doing something. I think I you, just, I think you need to move that contract off your roster. I think you need to, just from uh, I, I got it. And this team is not good enough right now for this to matter completely. But I got to think at some point in time too, just as far as to use Phil's favorite word, trying to set a culture. You got to get to a point where you don't have a guy like that who people look at and they're like, "Oh, you, man, you're talented, and you work really hard sometimes," right? So. I would think if the Wolves are going to turn a true corner at some point here, and it's going to take a a while, this is not a good team, and it really shouldn't be shocking that they're not. But I can't think that this is a player that you want long-term on your roster. Am I crazy to not give up? Like, Did you guys really think that the trajectory of the Andrew Wiggins reclamation project was just going to be an arrow going straight up? You didn't think there would be any, any, any dips or dives in that line chart? All right. As, okay. As, as the guy who has been 
as out on Andrew Wiggins as anyone can possibly be. And I'm not starting saying, four I'm years not saying ago. it will happen. I'm just saying the start that he had is still promising. I don't think we have to completely let go of that and write it off as some kind yeah. of some kind of fluke. Well, here's the here's the thing. So th- these this is your problem right now. If you're really trying to get D'Angelo Russell in house, D'Angelo Russell also makes a ton of money. So you have you have salary cap problems just trying to get him in house, right? If I, I, how are you going to fit him? And obviously, you would trade away some, you'd trade away Gorgie's contract or something, and you would you would you'd have an even contract trade. But I don't think D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins can coexist money wise or style of play wise or defensively on the same team. So. You know, if obviously if it's a decision between D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell is fairly overrated too. He's more of a volume scorer, doesn't play a ton of defense, but there might be some more upside there. Maybe there's some more grind there than Andrew Wiggins. So you got to figure out. All right, if you're going for D'Angelo Russell, how are you going to get rid of Andrew Wiggins either before the trade deadline or sometime this off season when that trade might go down? But then to what Rami is saying, you're so bad right now. You've you've had these two massive losing streaks. If you're not going to get D'Angelo Russell, you know I don't think I don't think I'm rushing to trade a first round pick along with Wiggins at this point. You're just kind of stuck. Don't you That's wait till problem. July though and see what what's what at that point in time? But if you have to trade a first round pick with him now with what you're building, now you're now you're taking another step back, and now you're probably now you're probably if you're taking that asset off the table, now you're probably getting even deeper into Carl Anthony Towns' contract before you're relevant again. That's the problem. I just don't think that long-term he's going to be part of the solution here, and I'm not giving up hope that Rosas and that front office won't get this thing at some point in time on a different track. It's just going to take... it. This is going to be a long process, and, and it, it's unfortunate because this fan base deserves much more. These poor people who have stuck with this team have been patient beyond belief, and it'd be nice if they were consistently relevant for even a three- or four-year run, which they have not been. I just don't see this guy being part of that plan long-term. I don't think that you have to trade him tomorrow. I don't think you have to trade him at the deadline early next month. And if you don't want to trade him in July, you don't have to. But the in and the out and the I like Ryan a lot and I worked hard in the second half stuff. At some point in time, that just has to end. Yeah. and. Rami, the thing that I don't think, because the talent's there, the thing that I don't think is going to turn is, I don't think he's ever going to turn the mental corner enough where where you say Actually, there's something clicking. I here. was just going to ask you guys that because I've 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 only I've been here right. I've been here about a year. I don't know the history of Andrew Wiggins in terms of how he's reacted to coaching in the past. Did we? And I think we all agree most of this with with Wiggy is is between the ears, right? This is a guy who has mm-hmm. all the talent and all the physical potential. In the world, warranted that being being the number one pick coming out of Kansas, have we ever heard him before say, "I need it. I I deserve to be yelled Dude, at. I needed that." You just hit the key phrase in that quote where he, where where he says after the game last night, everyone acknowledges. Yet Ryan Saunders went in at halftime and lit up the team, but also mostly lit up Andrew Wiggins. And Wiggins said, "Yeah, he was yelling at me a lot of the time at halftime. I needed it, and I don't care if it's sports or not sports." Name me a person who's wildly successful long term in their profession who just like every once in a while, like once every month, just needs to be ripped into by their boss or so I've worked with Judd and I've known Judd for twelve years. Judd is one of the most nose to the grindstone, hardest working guys. Like mm-hmm. Judd, have you ever in your life as a professional, as a radio professional or a or a beat writer, have you ever been have you ever needed to like be lit up by your boss to like oh man? 
Yeah, I was being kind of... I, I didn't care for like a, a week or something. No, Right, like, think about that. Yeah. Like, this dude is saying, I know this is my job, and like, there's 82 work days that really matter and practice days. So really, you know, it's not, it's not like, hey, for five days, I need to be engaged for 10 hours a day. I'm not saying that you're not putting in a ton of work. You're putting in a ton of work as a professional athlete, but there are 82 days on your calendar where you need to bring it all the time. There might be a practice or two that maybe you can kind of coast through. Kobe didn't. Michael didn't. But, okay, whatever. Coast through a practice. 82 games. And you're telling me that you, in your sixth year in the NBA, that you still need someone to put a foot in your ass? Like, that is what, that's what's dejecting about this if you're a Wolves fan. That you saw this dude out of the gate, first 30 days, he's putting up career numbers, he's playing with his hair on fire, and now, oh, I guess we forgot about that because we're four months in now. I don't think everybody is, is wired like that. I think there are guys who sometimes need a wake-up call. And the fact that he recognizes that he needs a wake-up call tells me that, at the very least, at the, and I don't know that it'll manifest itself into what we all want from Andrew Wiggins, but at the very least, it's a guy who wants to break the mold of what he's been in the NBA so far. Doesn't that Doesn't that say that to you? That's not a guy who's... I mean, it, it would be real easy for him to just sit back and say, yeah, I got yelled at. Here's my problem. I'll play another game tomorrow. So what? I don't trust it. Like, I think it's him saying, oh, yeah, I wanted to be yelled at and thinking to himself, okay, now I'm going to go back, back to the hotel and get a burger and uh, watch some television or play some games. I mean, he was pulling this stuff with Flip. And I told you, the first time that I thought to myself, oh, boy, we got problems here. So his first year, he was good, and then he was sort of bad, and then he was, and he was okay, but it's your first year, right? So you're saying, it's your rookie year, things go wrong. He had been traded by Cleveland. The Wolves went to Cleveland to play a game, and he went off. Unbelievable game. And post-game, he said, that was a motivational game for me. And he basically named what were going to be the games where he was engaged. And I said to myself, if you're a world-class athlete who cares consistently, you don't pick and choose like that. Now, if you want to say Cleveland shouldn't have traded my rights, go for it. That's great. But I just think that this personality type isn't the personality type, if I'm Gerson Rosas, yeah. that I want as a cornerstone to my franchise. I Look, I don't want Jimmy Butler tearing apart the locker room, too, okay? But I think there's a happy medium of success here. I, I honestly thought... And again, there's there's still a half a season to play here, and so if, if there's a lull here with just Andrew Wiggins and he and he goes gangbusters for the last three months, okay, maybe the maybe the story is different at the end of the year. But I legitimately thought, based on everything we heard and saw in the off season and everything we saw in that first month, that he really just needed the right coach and the right front office system that connected with him. You know, he needs an arm around approach, and he got that, and he's been getting that. But when the arm around approach stops working. Then it becomes foot in ass approach, like what happened at halftime last night. And so I just wonder, you know, if if it's not Ryan and it's not Gerson and the system that they're building, if 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 that can't get him to play at his max potential on a more regular basis, then I think you've exhausted all options. So this is definitely a red flag, a red flag stretch for him. And I do think he deserves the rest of the season, unless you find if you find a taker before the trade deadline, by all means you abort mission on that contract, but you're probably not going to. Unless you want to attach a first round pick. But this is definitely the first, like this last month has been the first sign of, all right, well, it was a fun little burst for two or three months, but he's pretty much proving himself to be the same guy. That's kind of what we're looking at. I can't say he's not. I'm just saying I'm not giving up on on the idea that he could change from being that guy. I'm not there yet.
But but would you like would you conclude that once we've seen a full season of him underneath Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders, like like once we get to mid April here, that we'll know one way or the other. Yeah, I need to see I need to see when all is said and done, all eighty two games, I need to see more of the Andrew Wiggins that we saw at the start of the season than what we're seeing right now. I just I just need I just need that to outweigh I need the good to outweigh the bad. I don't need him to be that guy for eighty two games because nobody just wakes up and changes their stripes like that overnight. But if over the course of a season we see Andrew developing, breaking his old habits, continuing to to seem like that he wants to be better and wants to be a different player, I'm willing to give him a chance. Because what do you got to lose, really? 651-646-8255 if you want to chime in. Sage Football Wisdom coming up in about 10 minutes from now. By the way, are you going to go interview him and tell him you're back to not believing in him? I would love to actually. <laughs> it wouldn't move him one bit. I would love to. He he uh, would yeah, he, he would, would be like, oh yeah, okay, thanks. I don't think he'd give a rip. What's your name again? Let's go to Mark. You're on with Mackie Jadnarami. Hey boys, it's Mark from South Dakota driving through the snowstorm. Be careful. I think that I think that Rami is sadly mistaken in his patience when it comes to Andrew Wiggins. It's one thing if a guy's making five, six, seven million dollars a year. And you need to put a boot in his ass once in a while. But when a guy's making $30 million a year, when a guy really believes he's worth $30 million a year, $29 million a year, um, he doesn't need that. And the fact that he does need it tells you that he ain't getting any better. And quite honestly, Glenn Taylor deserves to lose the money. <laughs> that's that's the call. Glenn Taylor deserves to lose. I mean, Glenn Taylor has... Not exactly been banking off the Timberwolves the last five to ten years, I don't think. But Andrew looked Glenn right in the eye and said, I'll play hard. That's all. We, you know what? I mean, once he said that, right? Do you need yeah. anything more? <laughs> Can you imagine owning a team and having a guy who had underachieved for, what, three years at the time? And he just looks you right in the eye and says, yeah, I'm going to play hard. All Mackie asked me in the job interview was, will you work hard? Like I drove from I drove from Milwaukee to Minneapolis. I sat down with him. He was like, "Will you work hard?" I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Here's the contract." He yeah. slid the max contract across the table then, <laughs> and you signed for one point five million dollars. But I need you to look me in the yeah. eye. You've got to drive. Look me in the if, eye. If you want that seventy five mil, Rami, you've got to drive from Milwaukee. Here. <laughs> Stare at me awkwardly in the eye. Okay, before we get to Sage football. Reckless speculation. I'll throw this out, too, for just a few minutes. Because jo- Johnny Krasinski wrote a great Stefan Diggs piece for The Athletic today. Just theathletic.com slash Vikings, I believe, is your best path. And he he laid out he laid out everything involving Stefan Diggs this year. And Stefan Diggs showing a little bit of diva these last couple of years. And essentially, if I could sum up the article in, in a question form, he's asking, would you trade Stefan Diggs? Stefan Diggs and Kirk Cousins make up 23% of the Vikings salary cap in 2020. And if you add Adam Thielen to that mix, who makes about 13 million, we're talking 30% of the Vikings salary cap, 53 man roster, 30% of it tied up in three guys who don't play defense or block. And the Vikings entire blueprint is predicated on playing defense and running the football at a high clip, right? I mean, it's, it's the Titans and the 49ers blueprint. That's why Gary Kubiak has been your offensive mastermind above Kevin Stefanski and now your offensive coordinator today. So would you guys or how how strongly would you consider trading Stefan Diggs here in the next couple months? What's the return potentially? A left tackle or a draft picks? Draft picks. Let's say a second round pick. I don't know if someone's gonna give you a first round pick because you're because it's a big contract. 
So let's say it's a it's a second round pick. Unless he's come to me and requested a trade for a second round pick, probably not. What about a first round pick? Then I'm probably that would probably move me. And it 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 you know if it's the thirtieth pick in the first round, probably not. Probably would be though. Like but, if, yeah, it'd be like the like the Patriots or somebody in the twenties. Uh, my question of Krasinski's piece was: it does seem to I think accurately insinuate that there is unhappiness there from the Diggs camp. So if he's if it's going to become a problem, and now I've got him and he's not happy with Kirk, then do I consider it? If I could explore the territory for a left tackle of some sort, blocking help up front, I probably would. If it's just straight second-round pick, Rami, I'd probably say no. Not for draft picks. Because if, if you're staying the course, if it's Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, it's you're still in a win-now win mode. And I'm not trading assets that can help me win now for assets that may not be ready to help me win for a year, maybe two, maybe three. In the NFL, success is rarely overnight, unless you're talking about phenomenal talent. Those usually come in the first five or ten picks. If you trade if you trade Stephon Diggs, it's to help you get better now. So I'm not doing it for draft picks. I'd entertain any trade idea if I'm the GM of any team. You can call me about anyone, and I'll listen to you. I'll hear out just about any offer for any player. But not for draft picks. But could I if argue that's what somebody's offering? I hang up the phone. But could I argue though if you if you nail your first and second round picks in general that it is it is win now in the NFL because you're you're drafting twenty one and twenty two year olds you can you can nail a draft or two and be right back to contention in the NFL pretty easily. I guess where I'm coming from here is I would strongly consider trading any skill position player that helped lead me to better offensive and defensive line play. I w- I'm just I'm just kind of sick of this approach where. You know, hey, the Vikings have some of the best skill position players in the NFL. That's great. And then they get moved off the ball when they play the 49ers. Yeah, it's true. They get destroyed when they play the Chicago Bears defense at Soldier Field because they can't block Khalil Mack. I mean, not many people can block Khalil Mack, but like I, I, I would just, I almost feel like they've been building this team from the outside in and then trying to patchwork the most important part. And they're getting exactly what they deserve, which is pretty darn good 10 and 6 and. Even even a thirteen and three, but then when they face an actual team that has great players in those trenches, they get punched in the mouth. And I just think you might you might not have assets like Dalvin Cook and Stefan Diggs to be able to acquire either ready now players or first and second round draft picks. I would look at those options right now. I'd rather trade him in a plan for the future type move. If Stefan Diggs is part of a deal that gets you up to the fourth pick to get Tua, if the Vikings are sold on Tua. That's a deal I'm interested in. But that that that's if I'm moving out of the Kirk Cousins era. If I'm already starting to plan for the next era of Vikings football past Kirk Cousins, I would think about that type of move. But, that's, that's my question, too. Is wh- What is the strategy going to be? That's my biggest question. Kubiak's coming back. So that they're obviously going to run the system back. And with Kirk coming back for at least 2020, they have to. I get that. But I guess my biggest question is internally, have they decided what 2020 is going to look like, and is it largely going to be the same, or are they going to try and, and do what Phil's saying, which is, yes, Kirk Cousins is your quarterback, but your line is much improved. Well, first let's talk more about this exact thread here with our friend Sage Rosenfels when we come back. Sage Rosenfels, you can find him on our show at 4.30 every single Thursday and also as part of Purple Daily on Mondays and Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. Sage Football Wisdom when we come back here on Mackie and Jeb with Rami on Score North. Luther Brookdale Toyota is one of our partners on this show, and they are helping people get through winter safely and get through winter with some peace of mind. 
with the Highlander, with the Tacoma, the Forerunner, the Tundra, the RAV4, you get great state-of-the-art safety features on all those vehicles. You get four-wheel drive, great new designs on the 2020 Highlander as well. And right now, you get 0% interest on all remaining 2019 Highlanders. So winter goes a lot easier behind the wheel of one of these safe, large, four-wheel drive vehicles from Toyota. Luther Brookdale Toyota also has the best service department in the Twin Cities, in my opinion. I've been going to Steve and the guys in that service department for I don't know. I've started driving in 2000, 2001, so for almost 20 years. Stop in, open until 9 o'clock tonight on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Also, when it comes to finances, Dale Tondrick is someone that you'll want to get to know here. You'll, you'll, you'll want that relationship with Dale so that you know your future and your retirement are going to be plentiful when it comes to savings, okay? I don't care whether you're 30 or 60. There is a lot of things you can and should be doing to make sure that you get to dictate what your life looks like when you're old, when you're when you're retired. And Dale Tondrick, so, so you know, take me for instance. I don't I don't get to spend a ton of time thinking about where to put my money, how to invest it, how to play the long game, right? Well, Dale Tondrick literally spends every second of the day thinking about this and helping people save money for retirement. He's a trusted source of information to help you on your path. You can call Tondrick Wealth Management at 952-401-1671. That's 952-401-1671. Or go to myinvestingcoach.com. Myinvestingcoach.com. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll start off here. Romstein is live at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday, August 30th. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. That's tomorrow at 10 a.m. at romstein.com. Download the Score North mobile app. Now for your chance to win tickets to the show, Kirk Cousins, Vikings quarterback, is out at the Pro Bowl this week. Was talking to NFL Network about what the next challenge is now that he's gotten his team to a playoff. He's won a playoff game. What's the cha- next challenge now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was great to get in the playoffs, win a playoff game. Um, you're always going to have people who doubt you or wonder if you can take the next step. And certainly now the challenge for me is to win more playoff games and, and to be a guy who's repeatedly there and expected to win. And that'll be the next goal to reach. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. It is Mackie and Judd with Rami, and every uh, what is this Thursday Weird. around this <laughs> time? Four, four, four words. Good God! Four, four words in. Good God, man! What is wrong with me? Rex. It is. Rami, uh, why, don't, why don't you start the segment? We, we check stumbled. in with you Sage Rosenfeld. Just type something up and read it. So that might be a better situation. <laughs> then we can laugh at me, Sage. It is Sage Football Wisdom with our journeyman quarterback, Sage Rosenfels, and Sage News. We're for full disclosure recording this earlier in the day, just coming down. I don't know if you've even seen it yet. The Vikings have named Gary Kubiak, the offensive coordinator, to replace Kevin ah. Stefanski. Not shocking, and I know you have history with Gary Kubiak, and you probably like this move, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, if you liked the way the Vikings offense you know, produced last year and how it made Kirk Cousins play and how it you know, made Dalvin Cook play and all those types of things, it's it's that to me was the easiest, easiest answer. I know his son Clint uh, was also in the works, but uh, you know, I think you know Clint might be one of those guys that sort of likes Stefanski. Of like, you know, he's a he's a super nice guy. I think he's going to be a good coach, and he might be around for a while. You might want to keep him, you know, seasoning with uh, with another year or two with his dad, uh, you know, being the coordinator. And you know, I've got great respect for Kubiak, and and I you know so many of the things that the Vikings did last year that was because of Kubes and. 
and offensive line coach Rick Dennison. You know, those two have been together a long, long time, and obviously, I think even you know, even the casual fan would say, "Yeah, I could see the difference in that offense than John D. Filippo's offense from the year before." So, Sage, what could change here then? Since it was basically Kubiak's system, Kevin called plays now with Kevin in Cleveland, and Gary calling plays and already having if not designed the system, then gone a long way towards doing so. What could possibly change just in the transition from having two two minds working together on game day to Gary now basically running the show on game day by himself? You know, that's a good question. I I, I got to imagine that, you know, Kevin Stefanski added a lot, you know, to the mix, his own stuff, right? I mean, every co- coach has, you know, everyone has, people run the same system. I mean, what the Chiefs do is the West Coast offense. What Kyle Shanahan does is the West Coast offense. What Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski run is the West Coast offense. But they're all very different because they're all different people, and some are a little bit more creative, and some think a certain way, and some people want to want to be a little more conservative because they know in the long run, if you don't take that chance and and you know blah blah blah, that you'll win more football games rather than trying to throw the ball down the field in third and fifteen. You know, everyone has their amount of risk that they like to take, and and Kubiak will have his own. So I, I think it. You know, we'll see what the difference was between Kubes and Stefanski, but sort of knowing those guys and knowing how uh, the, the, the games were called this past year, I imagine this offense would be a little bit similar. And I also imagine that Kubes is right now watching a ton of San Francisco 49ers film. I think he understands that Kyle Shanahan has sort of taken that offense that we all he you know he brought from from Denver to Houston in 2006 when Kyle was the re, uh, receivers coach and then and quarterbacks coach and coordinator to another level i think kubiak is smart to, to understand that and and you know ma- what are the things that that he can do to sort of add to what is already already a, a very good run game that i thought made the offensive line look look pretty dang good and and you know ma- did they have to add some talent like who do they need to add i i, I got to think the vikings could use some some guys with some serious speed i mean that's one thing san francisco has at least from a talent aspect is they have like five or six receivers that are like four three eight four four one guys and the vikings don't have that so i think there'll be some schematic things but also you know who do they need to add to this offense uh to make it uh you know more uh more explosive that was something that could have been more this year is a little bit more explosive and that's i think i think you've hit on the the biggest thing here because the the you know, in, in the NFL, the window closes quick, and there's cliffs, and you know, the Vikings have experienced that a number of different times where you go from uh, a playoff and Super Bowl contender, and then the next year you're sort of in rebuild mode. And so what? What when you look at this team and the things that they can change either through free agency, draft, or scheme, do you see this team as having another level that they can access in 2020, or, or does it feel sort of like the, the winding down of, of this particular window? You know, I, the good teams always just sort of go from one window to the next. Yeah. Sometimes there's a, a one step back year. And, and I will say, I, I saw a tweet the other day and I thought about it, and it, it does make sense. I know people, it's not like some original thing, but the fact the Vikings are generally 500 or better means they never get these top five picks. They never get these top ten picks. It's not, and it's not only in the first round. It's, you know, it, it's the top five or top ten in the second round. I mean, that's not much of a difference between what a late first-round pick is where a lot of times that's where the Vikings are picking. So you're almost missing a round, almost a full draft round of, you know, the, the really, really good players when you, you know, get to the NFC Championship game. And so, you know, sometimes the best way to rebuild is to be, really bad and that was huge for the 49ers i mean they 
they, in a sense, you know, when Kyle Shanahan, when John Lynch got there, they were terrible. They so they got they had all these high draft picks, and then they got better and they were more competitive with with Garoppolo and whatever. But then Garoppolo got hurt, and so then they, they didn't have a very good year last year, right? And then they got more good draft picks, right? And now then this year here here we go. They're in the Super Bowl. So sometimes you have to sort of have not always. I mean the Patriots just keep reloading and reloading and reloading, but uh, it really does help to occasionally have a bad year. To then load up, and if you hit some draft picks, that can really sort of bring you to the next level and, and open up a new window for you. Sage, is Kirk Cousins a a bad fit for this Gary Kubiak system? Because we know he likes the the smaller, more athletic offensive linemen to run the zone blocking scheme, but usually smaller, more athletic offensive linemen, if they have a weakness, it's pass blocking. And I know you always want pocket awareness and mobility from a quarterback, but it seems to me those two things, which Kirk lacks, are especially important to have in this system and with an offensive line that's constructed this way? Well, yeah, I think that is the struggle with this offense, and it's a struggle with the 49ers. There's a reason they didn't throw the ball last week, because they didn't have to, for one, and and that's just – People should think that way. I think is if you don't have to throw the ball, you should never throw the football. I mean, if you if people you're getting six yards a rush, just keep running the ball for six yards. That's what the 49ers did, and that's what they won. But what, where they really struggle is in the third long situations when they can't run the football, and that's where Kirk really struggled this season. And, and there's you know those two offensive lines we talked about. They're number one and number two as far as lightest offensive lines, and so they do teams can get pressure on the quarterback and just straight drop back situations which on you know third and eight third and ten third and twelve and you can't run the football that's what you get and you know that that's that's why uh you know there is no bryant mckinney on this football team you know or, or phil Loldholt, these huge massive guys because in this offense you want players that can really run you want offensive linemen that can run because on that outside zone you're basically sort of running towards the sidelines and defenders have to be gap sound, so they have to run with you, and the, the quicker the offensive line is, the, the better chance of them being able to reach somebody and, and get them out of their gap, and that's where the hole hits. And, uh, but all that... Yes. But all that Keep stuff, all, all that quickness does uh, uh, hurt you as far as, you know, you need that girth in the passing game to take on those great pass rushers. So Football. Oh, sorry. My bad. I stepped on it. I'd like to apologize. So, Sage, back to teams being uh, bad at, at times, too. And, yes, the Patriots are, are the team that has the blueprint, and I don't know how, but they're great at it. But w- when you look at what San Francisco has done, to your point about them being good, and then not just being bad, but falling off a cliff and now coming back, and the Vikings not doing that, is there something to be said in conversations to, to be had about when you have a window, certainly going for it and taking it, but when you don't, you know what? You know, if you win nine games, that's great. But back to what you're saying, if you get top five picks, that's better. Is there an exploration that should be done of sometimes, if you're, go- if you're going to be bad, just be bad for a couple of years because the draft picks that you accumulate can turn your franchise around probably quicker than anything else. I mean, that's like the Miami Dolphins conversation from this year, right? Like, they mm-hmm. had every opportunity... To be bad, they trade away uh, their quarterback. They trade away their left tackle. I, I think probably a couple other guys, and they're tanking. They're tanking. The way they won five football games, so that they really sort of screwed themselves as far as getting you know the top couple picks in the draft. Uh, but I, I still think players are going to want. You know why players want to win? You know why coaches want to win? Because they're getting paid to win football games, not just playing football games. And every single play 
is measured as far as did you do your job? Did you do better than your job? Did you not do your job? Did you get beat? Everybody is critiqued on every single play, and you're and and, and everybody is going to try to win. And even the teams that get rid of some of their players. They're not going to try to go out there and lose. They're going to try to win football games. And just the fact that you have, uh, you know, 53 guys on an NFL roster, there's always enough talent there to win if you have good. You can't tell coaches to not coach well. I mean, they're going to coach his best. They're going to try to go win football games. Uh, it's a too it's too hard of a sport to go out there and 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 do all that to your body and not try to win. So I I think that you know that that'll really never happen and I, or rarely happen and and I think it's you know be a bad way to go and I I think it's the reason it's hard for it to happen is because players want to win because I said you know your film is your resume and you wouldn't want to put you know bankruptcies on your resume just because you know maybe you could you know get something later so you, you want to keep your resume as good as possible and that's what the film is for an NFL player Sage Rosenfels here on Mackie and Jeb with Rami Sage football wisdom you can also find Sage on Purple Daily every Monday at two o'clock and every Wednesday at two o'clock so you were uh, your old podcast buddy Sam Ekstrom was filling in yesterday and th- this is the this this week is the ten year anniversary of one of the the saddest periods in Vikings fans' minds. The the week after the NFC Championship game against the Saints, can you just like since we're since we pick at the scab every once in a while, what was the what was the week after that game like for you and for other people that you talked to on the team? You know, what was funny it was yesterday. Uh, he texted me and he was like, "Hey, here's the things I want to talk about." And and one of those was this the championship game, and I was like, well, we've hit that pretty good this year. Yeah. We did a special on it, did a podcast. Hello, we, Minnesota uh, Sports Rewind, anywhere you we, find podcasts. <laughs> we uh, we obviously played them the playoffs and discuss it going into the game. Probably discuss it plenty going after the game. Um, but uh, yeah, it was you know Eli Manning retired uh, or is retiring today. It looks like, and I got to play for him the year after that. And you know what a treat for me to play behind Brett Favre. Uh, and then Eli Manning back-to-back years, but not just have you know any old year with Brett Favre. It was uh, just the wildest year, guy. That I mean, it's it really is a movie. A guy that just sort of shows up mid-training camp. Uh, you could tell he was out of shape. He about passed out the first practice, and uh, <laughs> and goes and has this you know not just like a a, a good season. The greatest season of his, you know, uh, already Hall of Fame career. I mean, he was a Hall of Famer five years before he came to the Vikings, and has the greatest year of his career. Uh, there's so many great stories and so many great games, and you know, saw Greg Lewis, the the the, uh, the who is now the Kansas City Chiefs receiver, the other day. He's playing the Super Bowl. He's a receivers coach for the Chiefs, and he was the guy who caught the ball versus San Francisco. You know, like the, the, the you know that. That season has so many amazing memories that I continue to carry with me, and and then I run to somebody, and sure enough, that that championship game comes up, or even these other games come up. I mean, there was a bunch of wild ones. The Chicago game was wild in Chicago. Uh, you know, there, it was it was a, a lot of fun that season, and and a lot of great memories. Sage, this week the Pro Bowl alternates were announced, and there were opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to the Vikings. Five guys named. On one end was Kendricks got in. Everybody agrees he deserved to be in. So good for him. Applause, cheers, etc. Then Xavier Rhodes gets in, and unanimously people are going, how the hell does Xavier Rhodes get in the Pro Bowl? And me personally, I went through I went through a whole cycle with this where I went, how the hell did he get in the Pro Bowl? And I had the same outrage and shock that everybody else did. And then I came around to... 
why do I care? Like, I don't watch the Pro Bowl. I, I've never watched the Pro Bowl. It, as far as I'm concerned, it could not be played, and my life would be no different. I don't care about the Pro Bowl. Most people don't, yet for some reason, we get upset over who makes it and who doesn't make it. How do players feel about the Pro Bowl and when we see stuff like that? I think the BS part about the Pro Bowl is how... Um, when players do have good years and they don't make it over a player who didn't have a good year but just had good years, you know, three years ago, or you know, has that name recognition thing. Um, I never really liked the fact, uh, you know, of that. But I'm I'm very much like you. I really could care less about it. You know who was one of the quarterbacks in the NFC in the Pro Bowl last year? My guy, Mitch Trubisky. I love right, like, your, so I love it's like, stages going I don't know why so you like, like cares? Me, you I, don't know why, I don't know why you like cares. to hurt me, man. Every week, you got to bring this up. Every I mean, week. it's really, it's, it's, I would rather watch a Maction game on a Tuesday night See. than watch the Pro Bowl. I have no interest in what, I, you know what I, I'm interested in? I want to watch the dodgeball game at the Pro Bowl. I actually, that to me sound, well, might, might be fun. Wait, to they watch. play dodgeball at the Pro Bowl? Yeah, they do. Like, yeah, yeah they with, do. With least, I think that's tonight. I think that's tonight. They do like a skills challenge. No, it's with like uh, just not, just regular some sort Someone's of dodgeball. Well, you you could like if you threw a football at oh. someone like that, you could stab somebody. This just reminded me, by the way, we came up with a score at Score North Athlete Challenge a few weeks ago. Jonathan and I against Sage in a game of dodgeball. Would you be up for that, Sage? Oh, I'd be down for something. Okay, like that. cool. Yeah. He'd kill you guys. I know. That's what's going to be funny about. Point. Right. Awesome. That's the yeah, point okay, that's great. I'll if you take, want to die, I'll take one for the team. And the other, right. I mean, you can I, either I go with that idea, Judd, or the other one is you, as a defensive end, have to try and get past Alex Boone protecting <laughs> Sage Rosenfeld. Oh no, I'd die then. I'd much, I'd much prefer to see Maclaw, comma Sage, forty, comma Sage. If if we put if we put you, uh, you know, back there with a football, and it was it was Alex Boone trying to protect you with Judd trying to rush. What would your confidence? You level know what be I think we should do. Clean? I think I think we should do a dodgeball game, but they're Nerf footballs, so they are sort of footballs, but. Uh, uh, you don't get spiked in the back. I can football. see myself hitting you right in the back, <laughs> Matthew, with, a, with an NFL football. I'm going to tell you, those, that is, people get hit You know, sometimes on the sidelines. I've seen people go down. Oh, yeah, I'm no. media no, 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 people. No, no, no. I've yeah, seen coaches. I mean, Troy Williamson. I mean, come I'm on. Not, I'm not doing it with a real football, Sage. That's, I mean, dodgeballs or, or, like you said, a Nerf football. Okay, I'm, I'm ready to take one for the team, not ready to die for the team. I have a whole bunch of college footballs, like there, there's some, some Iowa State balls. I have about ten of them. With, oh. We can come up and have a great time. There is going to be nothing that I will do against Alex Boone because I would be dead. Okay, <laughs> that so one it's too. a terrible idea. I would then, do that one then, too. Rami, it's all you. I would do it's that. All one you. Too. It's You're not volunteer me. for that one. Yeah. So Sage, how, I'll how, get pancaked. No, I, wouldn't be the first time. How much appreciation did you have? For uh, Patrick Mahomes' 27-yard touchdown run in the AFC title game on Sunday, because to me, I know it wasn't as long as the Michael Vick run here in like 2003 against the Vikings in OT, but when you saw the amount of things that that man did in one run as a quarterback, to me, it was off the charts. It was a great run, and people never realized that Patrick Mahomes is a great athlete. He wasn't just a—he's not just a great thrower. Um, but he really is a, a very, very good athlete, and, and you know he's not super fast. He's not Vic fast. He's not uh, who's the kid in Arizona, uh, the kid from from Oklahoma, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. He's yep. super fast. I mean, there's some really fast. He's not that, but there's you know you have a shiftiness 
about you. And that's where I sort of see the kid from LSU, Joe Burrow. He doesn't you don't think he's fast, but then actually you watch him run and he sometimes pulls away from from linebackers, or he just has a way of getting around the edge and uh, around the, uh, the edge. And and, uh, and and you know this kid, Pat Mahomes, he he he's a good athlete. But he's not super fast. He's just super super shifty. Has great balance, and and uh, you know that was a great run. And and if they win the Super Bowl, that would be a run that probably goes down in in a sort of folklore for Kansas State Chiefs fans. Is he far and above the best quarterback in the NFL for you right now? Is there Not anyone in above. his? I love Russell Wilson. Okay. I think those two. I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. If I could, you know, if I'm going to start a franchise, Russell or uh, uh, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson, the MVP this year. By the way, I think Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback, but Lamar Jackson is the MVP of the offense this year. My thing with Lamar is, I'm interested to see if he can do this for the next eight years. Right? I, I think he can do it for the next three, four, five. There's obviously a style there, but I'm, you know, we haven't seen this style where you a guy who can really, really run and throw. But you know, how long can he play for it? We saw the Cam Newton thing sort of fall off the cliff. Now this guy's smaller, but he's also much you know quicker and, and better runner. So uh, you know, he would not be probably even my top three or four. Uh, but yeah, I think Pat Mahomes and Russell Wilson, those two for me are a step above everybody. I else. mean, the thing about Mahomes when when he came out of Texas Tech, and I admittedly did not watch a lot of him out of Texas Tech, and so when I first started hearing the Brett Favre comparisons, I was I was like, all right, that's. That's that, that's aggressive. I don't. But you watch him play, and if if Brett Favre was a little bit bigger and could throw the ball even farther and was more mobile and also didn't throw twenty interceptions in a handful of seasons, I can see it, man. I mean, he really is sort of a, a modern day, more mobile, bigger version of Brett Favre. So there's something about, and I and I've been this sort of a thing I'm analyzing. Uh, with, you know, with my sort of quarterback conversations, but you know the guys that in college you know, threw the, the throw the ball a ton, like the guy that plays in, in Mike Leach's offense. You know, I did a radio interview this morning for SiriusXM with the Pac-12 and Ryan Leaf, and we talked about Anthony Gordon. I mean, the guys had 689 attempts this season, his senior year. He played one year, 689 attempts. I had less than 600 in my entire college career. Right, <laughs> so. Just having all those attempts. And then you have guys that are playmakers. And if you go back ever and watch a little Mississippi State offense, Favre was running around making plays. It was making unbelievable throws. And that, to me, is also a big advantage because that is a nice thing to have. And I think that helped out Aaron Rodgers to watch a guy like Favre be a playmaker. Uh, But the ability to, to make the plays when the offensive line breaks down, when the first two or three reads aren't there and you got to do something, when it's crunch time, the ability to create offense when nothing is there. But also at the foundation of it, the ability to have the right type of coach to go, okay, I know you got all this run around, you know, trying to make plays thing. Let's go through simple old school. Let's create a foundation of offense. You have something to rely on so you can get really good at when the plays are there, the plays are there and the ball comes out. Pat Mahomes got that with Andy Reid. I think Favre got that with all those coaches in Holmgren in Green Bay. That is really, really important when you have one of these playmaker types. To You don't want to take that out of them, but you want to then build that foundation that maybe they never had as a college quarterback. When Steph Curry and the Warriors, and really league-wide, people started bombing threes from damn near midcourt, you saw all over Twitter, any social media, clips of kids trying to do the same thing and you hear basketball coaches complaining that this is ruining basketball that everybody thinks they are or can be Steph Curry and just launch it from anywhere on the court now I'm seeing kids 
trying to do Patrick Mahomes things as I as I scroll through my timeline. The no look passes, the the throws from weird angles and weird platforms. Do you think this is going to be a problem for coaches of young kids coming up thinking they can be Patrick Mahomes when really like nobody can do what he does, and that's not something that you can teach or or ingrain into a kid that you're trying to teach to play football, can you? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, are you going to tell your kid not to be, you know, Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett? I mean, you know, good chance it's not going to happen, but uh, you know, you never yeah, know, and you want your kid to strive for <laughs> for the top of the game, right? So, you well, know, so let's we're all Matthew, crushing dreams. <laughs> early Matthew Collar, Matthew Collar, right now. Is work right now. He's working on his fadeaway Michael Jordan fadeaway jump shot somewhere, <laughs> right? So I think it's important that it's it's great to watch guys do it a way that we've never seen it before. And when I was in high school basketball, we had a great team. I would consider my high school coach a similar sort of a Bob Knight, but of high school and in Iowa, we were oh, we won you know championship after championship as far as you know conference and things like that. But I we nobody nobody could take the ball to the hoop. There was never a, I'm just going to dribble, and I'm just going to drive past this guy. We didn't do that. Everything was super structured. Everything was coming off a screen. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of freelance to our game, and I think that actually hurt us. So I think that as the games evolve, I think maximizing anyone's sort of natural abilities uh, uh, is is a strength, and, and I think guys trying to do more, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Now, listen, a coach can say, don't take those bad shots because you don't make them. I mean, it's all about really making them. If you can't make them when you're just shooting on air, you sure as heck shouldn't be shooting them in games. Okay, well, one last thing for you here. We're going we're gonna to get, once we actually see some reports of where some of these, uh, the game of free agent quarterback musical chairs, I think Tom Brady's the first domino, but. Well, my, by the way, it might be the most interesting year ever. Oh, my God. You have, as far as veterans. Yeah, like, veterans just don't, it just doesn't happen. Breeze, I cannot imagine, cannot imagine him leaving that situation. What, he and Bears general manager Ryan Pace are good buddies. I'm just going to put that out there. And Breeze would probably love playing in that windy, cold Chicago weather, yeah, yeah, 40-year-old yeah. arm, too. It'd be great. <laughs> where do you want to see Teddy Bridgewater wind up? Where, where would be a fun spot for Teddy? Hmm. That is a good question. Teddy Bridgewater. Hmm. I don't know. I, I'd have to... I'm interested to see where Carolina goes with their entire team. I, uh, Carolina Panthers. I just okay. know, how about that? Throwing out of the hat. I, like I you know, I think be, being a college coach to a pro coach is is a major challenge. But I watching Matt Rule uh, in the Big Twelve last year at Baylor and what he walked into there and how they turned that sucker around was very very impressive. And I love the fact that they hired who they hire. Oh, the Saints former Saints receivers coach who then went to LSU to become the offensive coordinator and the passing game coordinator. Man, he might actually, you know, have the offense that he went 5-0 and this year. So I, I think the Carolina Panthers, that would be a great spot for old Teddy Bridgewater. I like it. That is Sage. Football. Football wisdom. Every Thursday at 4.30 here on Mackie and Judd with Rhyme. You can also find Sage on Purple Daily, Mondays at 2 o'clock and Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. Super Bowl in a week and a half, and we will preview it all with you next week, Sage. Looking forward to it, man. I will be down there, and we'll have to figure out how we're going to do this show. So I'll we got to get you. By the way, like, so this is this is my fault. Mm-hmm. Sage is going to be down there, but the media credential application deadline was November thirteenth. Took care of so it get, already. Don't worry about it. You're that. good. Oh, look at you're good. You know, okay. I know people down in Miami. That's my old stomping ground. It's like Peyton like Manning, he calls his own offense. He doesn't wait I, for you. He doesn't, you know, yeah. if you want to do it the easy way, fine. I'll go and you know now I owe somebody a cup of coffee or something. Perfect. But, uh, I, I got. I think I got worked out. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll talk to you from Miami next week. All right. See you, Sage. Sounds good, guys. Thanks, Sage. And the biggest news to come out of that conversation with Sage Rosenfels, 
Myself, Phil Mackey, takes a 2-1-0 to one to zero lead in the good question standings. Mommy, right. well, I think you should I'm playing, I'm playing there un- for it. I'm playing under protest. What I'm do you pl- mean? It, no offense to you personally. You throw out a lot of really... I think we all do a pretty good job of coming up with good questions. Just for say interviews. it, Matt. Don't right. sugarcoat it, man. That, I mean, that was an average question at best. <laughs> right? I got, I got a feeling we might have a cheating scandal here. Like, Mackie was texting Sage while we were doing the interview. Say good question Absolutely after this, was. right? He asked if Teddy Bridgewater... What did you ask? I don't even remember the question. Where am I going? I'll show you my text with Sage so you know that I didn't do that. What team? Yeah, well, no, but Sage was... By now. Sage was buying himself time. Yeah, that was the other. That thing. was. Uh, that, that, I, I got to think of a team. He was saying good. good he was saying See? good question. No shenanigans. Okay. Here's my text. Good, good question was the same as um. I want a review. I want. Uh, I want a review. I want to review the play. I'm throwing my red flag next week. Sage. You realize the Pandora's box you're opening. Yes. That anyone who says good question to any of us, this now sets the precedent I mean, that we're no, going to we're going to go right. Okay. Here's here's a precedent I think that needs to be set. If three of four of us are questioning, if it was really a good question, <laughs> then we're allowed well, to throw out the red Did you think my question, which yes. got a good question, was yes. a good question? Okay. Yes, I'm not challenging that. I'm not throwing the red flag okay, on so John. It doesn't ch- matter what you think of that question. I clearly have two feet in bounds. I, I think three of us are, are questioning and whether possession. or not that was really a good question and whether or not Sage really doesn't meant matter. it. This is fully subjective. Here's my proposal. We'll have Sage on next week. How much replay are we going to do here? I say we pull the tape. And we ask Sage, did you really think that was a good question or were you just buying yourself some Yeah, time? but if you do that, then he's never going to give you guys that's a good question again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the other problem it. then, too, is we're, we're subject to so much replay then. And eventually there, there's going to be good question write-ups from leagues. That was not a good question. The NBA has deemed that was not a good question the last two minutes of that game. And <laughs> it's going to just review. It's just going to get really well, ugly, Ronnie. You guys can fight it all you want, but you know what? When you put the ball in play, good things happen, and that's what happened to me today. I have a two to yeah, one to, to zero. So Robbie zero. You're saying we're not, we're not going to instill a challenge system. I just feel it'd be a lot of work. Listen, just make your questions better, okay? All right. Let me know if you want some tips. Now, I thought Let's I talk had, about. I, I was I was robbed. By the way, I had a really good question. <laughs> well, there's lessons to be learned. I was robbed. okay. <laughs> When we come back, a great story about a Hall of Famer from our guy Glenn Perkins. And uh, Rami and I are probably going to fight about Bonds and Clemens as well. And in other news coming up this hour. I'll fight that fight. But Federated Insurance was <laughs> once again named a top 150 workplace by the Star Tribune. How many years in a row, you guys ask? How many years in a row, Phil Mackey? That's a good question, Rami. You don't it's mean a good it. question. You don't mean that. Just wow. question. Question. didn't mean you it. You got set up right there. Two years in a row, the Star Hurts Tribune. Me. Also named Jeff Fetter's top CEO for for what? For that's a good question. For large companies in Minnesota. You're not gonna get me twice. Yeah. Fool me once. Federated is top of the line Won't when it comes again. to giving business owners fooled, can't be fooled again. Peace of mind. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. You can go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated representative. And remember, federated, it's their business to protect yours, Judley. Uh, thank you, Phil. And I want to talk to you about my friend Jason Walgrave, the Walgrave Real Estate Group, and their guaranteed sales program. And you know, as sports fans, what do we love to talk about? What do we love dearly? We love guarantees, right? We guarantee things. In fact, I'm going to guarantee you the next time that we talk to a person, Rami's going to ask the guest a question, and that guest is going to say, good question, and Rami's going to celebrate, and then we're all going to complain about that. Now, what if I told you about a guarantee that could hit much closer to home they'll for you? They'll mean it, though. When they say it to me, they'll mean it. I don't know about that. Do you think so? Yes. 
Because this is going to be a guarantee that I'm talking to you about from my guy, Jason Walgrave, that really is a guarantee. If you are looking, Rami, to sell your house, Jason and his team will guarantee the sale of your home when you list with a Walgrave real estate group. Yes, I said guarantee. You know, some people in this market, they have guaranteed offers, right? Guaranteed offers. That sounds good. But what if I told you, no, forget the guaranteed offer because Walgrave's giving you a guaranteed sale. All you need to do, it's this simple, is go to minnesotahometalk.com, click on that guaranteed sale button and learn how the program works. If you are moving this spring, there's going to be stress. There's going to be plenty going on. So uh, Jason Walgrave and the Walgrave real estate team, again, they have their guaranteed sale program. That takes stress off you. Again, very simple. Go to minnesotahometalk.com, click on the guaranteed sale button to learn more. That's minnesotahometalk.com. And when you click on that guaranteed sale button, I guarantee you'll be glad you did. Holding it in in all the right places. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. All right, welcome back in. It's Mackie and Joe with Rami. Score North and the free-to-download Score North app. And earlier today, we had a two-hour special from noon to two today. A two-hour Score North twin show special. A winter review and recap with the twins now making their big splash and Josh Donaldson. And the first hour of the show was Glenn Perkins on baseball. And this will be just this will be kind of a good segue into a couple Hall of Fame discussions here, but... We got talking. We were actually talking about sign stealing and cheating in the Astros scandal. And Glenn Perkins, we were kind of asking him, like, what's what's okay, what's not? I mean, if a guy's leaning in on second base, you know, where do you kind of draw the line? And he told this story. I caught a guy one time looking in, and I stepped off and stared him down, and he he like deer in a headlight was like, oh crap, he just saw me. It wasn't Josh Donaldson, was it? No, okay, looking in from second, or you're trying to look in from and first. the batter's box from second. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, he oh. just got put in the hall. Of, he just got voted into the Hall of Fame the other day. <laughs> wow, you faced Larry Walker. Great you're for Larry Walker. Walker. Yeah. <laughs> I hung around a long time. Um, yeah, I looked oh, back at him one time, story. and he was he was looking in and like like was so focused on what the catcher was doing that. I you know I don't know and like if you catch a guy you're not you're not going to retaliate because it's like I mean what are you supposed to not look at the right, catcher's right, signs right. you're right there but I, and I don't know if it was like he was like holy crap I was so like zoned out that I didn't realize the pitcher was stepped off staring at me or what but yeah, I remember him looking at me like deer in the headlights and he just walked back and then I, when I came in I was like hey I think we got you know we probably got to keep an eye on them at second like they're looking for signs you know that that but everybody does that. <laughs> Talking about Derek Jeter there, obviously. Derek Jeter leaning in from second base. And the the outrage this week is... Your deductive reasoning powers are... I know, it's great. <laughs> wow. Crazy. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Walker... Sherlock uh, Holmes over here. Larry Walker probably leaned in Why from second to base, to too. <laughs> the right. bitterness. The bitterness that has <laughs> enveloped this room. It's okay. I can handle if it. If I was bitter, I would talk about how he's dressed as a lumberjack today. I didn't bring that up at all, Judd, all right? I haven't brought that up one I bit. got bad news for What's you. What's that? Nobody in this room can rip on how anybody else dresses. I'm currently wearing my pea coat because I'm cold. I feel like I'm looking pretty slick today. I don't know. Listen, you know who nice asks shirt. great questions in interviews? The brawny man. Okay. <laughs> That's right. How does a brawny man yeah, sound? Great, what what great does questions. the brawny man sound like? He sounds like me asking about Teddy Bridgewater. It's okay, the same That's what he sounds right, like. I'm bitter. Fine. But Derek Jeter was one vote shy of unanimous for the Hall of Fame. And the outrage has been, well, who's you know, who's the one guy? And I'm I'm more on the other side. I'm wondering, wow, like this is only Mariana Rivera has been unanimous. And for years and decades and decades, baseball writers have come up 
in some cases, like 30 or 40 votes shy of unanimous on surefire Hall of Famers. Yes. So I'm actually pleasantly surprised by how close they got to being unanimous. Are you guys outraged or mad at the one anonymous guy? Who Are you pitchforks and like, we need to find out who this guy is and bang on his door? Because that's the sense I get from baseball fans. And I'm ever, actually kind of proud of the BBWA. I kind of had this moment the other day, and I talked about it with Judd, with the Pro Bowl stuff. when everybody was, And I brought it up to Sage. When everybody was up in arms that Xavier Rhodes was named one of the Pro Bowl alternates, and I found myself getting upset. Not upset, but like questioning it. Sports upset, I guess is how I would describe it. And then I came around to realizing, like, I shouldn't care about this. I, sometimes I think we just care about too many things, especially in 2020. Yeah, and like he's a Hall of Famer. Social media. Right, exactly. I don't. I stopped caring about first ballot, unanimous. I don't care about it. Did, is he a Hall yes. of Famer or not? Derek Jeter is a Hall of Famer. He got in. He got what he deserved. End of story in my book. 100%. I'm actually more outraged, if if you will, at the Kurt Schilling vote again. And Kurt, Kurt Schilling, just for full disclosure, could not disagree more with a lot of the things he says in front of a microphone. Like I, Kurt Schilling and I are probably not two guys who are ever going to cheers a drink and talk life for two hours. But in terms of his ability to get batters out in big postseason games, you compare him to Mike Mussina, it's not even close. Kurt Schilling, better peak, better numbers in a lot of different categories, better postseason performer. And 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 people hold it against Kurt Schilling that he's just kind of a kind of a bleep hole and has said some things that people disagree with politically and he's he's been brash. Like I'm more outraged over Kurt I mean, Schilling not being Hall of Famer than Derek Jeter not being unanimous. I don't feel the need to sugarcoat this. He's been racist. He's been flat out racist. He compared Muslims to Nazis. So what but if you go back and look at every player before about 1950, no, they're all racist. Like, my, my, they... sta- my stance on Schilling is this. he should, Yeah, he should be a Hall of Famer, but if he doesn't get in because of what he did, you won't catch me shedding a tear or feeling bad for Kurt Schilling. Screw him. I don't care. So I have a very simple question then. What are the rules for this thing? There are none. Right. That's what sort Everybody, of everybody's that's got... why I'm. That's why I, I think when, the day that Phil was out, and I told you this, Rami, that's why I'm sort of done with this whole thing. Like, I like the Hall of Fame. I like the fact that it's a museum about baseball, a sport I love dearly. But this notion of putting people in and and the writers having this overall power, and they sort of one by one just make up rules. Well, what is the... Okay, let me take your question and flip it this way. Because the NFL has a totally different process. The NFL has little subcommittees that go behind closed well, they, doors. They all and, meet together and do it at, at, at once, yeah. So what what is the best process for electing a Hall of Fame? Because I do, I, I, I sometimes I think we, we put way too much stock into some of these labels and awards and things, but I do think the sports should continue to have Hall of Fame. Okay. We should honor the best players. And so like what? I'm sort of done with, with the entire thing, but to start down the path that you're going down, I think if you aren't, convicted of cheating your sport because that gets to be dicey like you know pete rose gamble that's a big problem steroids i get the problem there but i think as far as you're off the field or off the ice or off the court endeavors if you're not convicted of a crime and you were a great player i think you should be in because now we're passing judgment on what people were like and we don't know anybody and so if we're going to say well kurt schilling can't get in and yet Player X goes in, and he's a closet racist, but we're like, oh, let's celebrate Player X because we don't know this. We like what we don't know. So that's where I sort of have a problem here. I'm all for debating people who have cheated the sport 
And if you're incarcerated or something, yeah, you don't deserve it. But when you're getting into the murky water of, I tweet and I'm a racist, so I'm out of the Hall of Fame. But the other guy might be a racist too, but he doesn't tweet. But now I'm deciding who can go in? Yeah, I, I feel very strongly about trying to separate the the artist from the art as much as possible. The the I, I think I really think once you get into the weeds of boy, I mean that well this person, you know, it, 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 there are extreme examples of like Darren Sharper is right. sitting behind bars and I would not put him in a convicted yes. rapist, for instance. Okay, yes. well, all right, but. I, I, as much as possible, want to judge these Hall of Fame groupings based on how they performed on the field. And then if there's another extenuating circumstance that deserves consideration and discussion, okay, well, then let's have let's have that conversation. And the obvious ones in question here are Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, who eighth year on the ballot, they continue to go closer and closer to the 75%. They're sitting at 61%, Roger Clemens, and 60.7%. So one... 242 votes for Clemens and 241 votes for Bonds. I would actually be curious to know the one person that put Clemens on and not Bonds, what is their reasoning? Because <laughs> those guys seem to be very much tied together. Sure. But that right there, those are two guys that, even though they haven't admitted to it, there's so much evidence and proof. Those guys clearly did performance-enhancing drugs. And where I tend to throw that out and want them in the Hall of Fame is because I think those are two of the greatest players to ever play the game in an era where 50 to 75% based on various reports, and we've had a couple people who played in the major leagues and minor leagues that listened to the show have called in before. One of them was, I don't want to say his name, but one of them was a former Twins minor leaguer. Mm-hmm. And we said, what percentage of players were using performance enhancing drugs during the Bonds-Clemens era? And he said, minimum 50%, probably upwards of like 75%. And I, I look at that whole era and say the whole era is tainted. Those guys were the most talented and also the highest profile cheaters. And so either we're going to flush the whole era or we're going to put like Ken Griffey Jr.'s in the but Hall I don't of know Fame. Why, I don't know why it has to be black or white like that. Like when, when we know you're a cheater, you you pay the price. You serve the sentence. I mean, it's it's really that simple. We can't just assume everybody is a cheater who had a Hall of Fame career in that era. You just can't. How many people do you think will be speeding on the way home on 94 tonight? What percentage of people? I, I for sure will be. What percentage of people would you say are going over the speed <laughs> it's limit? Slushy outside. I'll probably get in the slow. On lane an tonight. average night. On an average night. How? What percentage of people would you say are going over the speed limit? By 75 to 90 percent. But not all of them get tickets, right? But we don't just throw out the ticket for the guy who gets it and go. Oh, everybody, what? Like 75 percent of people are speeding out there. We're going to give this guy a ticket? No, you get caught. But, you get punished. But Bonds and Clemens, and I'm murky here personally about this, but Bonds and Clemens, we think we know what they did. There's evidence that they did it, but because baseball didn't have suspensions then, we don't have... Yeah, I don't care. We have the we have the smoking gun of common sense. Okay, but here's the problem then. And if you want to go down that path, Jeff Bagwell to me sets off red flags... A lot of red do we flags. We have a smoking there. gun of common sense like we do with Bonds and Clemens. But I, common sense tells me that a lot of those guys, to Phil's point, cheated. I'm just, this is. Like Derek Jeter played in that era, yeah, too, by this the is, way. This well, but is, he's skinny. Okay, so is Ryan Braun. Exactly. And this, so this gets to be, and this is why the, the actual Hall of Fame induction thing is losing me completely because we are just guessing now. Like, we're just, we're basically throwing darts here and we think we know what this guy did and we think we know what that guy did. And. It's gone down such a path. I mean, Patrick's 
God bless him. His philosophy is basically yours. Rami, he says, if you got caught or I think you did it, I don't vote for you. I think the other path... Yeah, it's that, not that hard. I don't understand why this is so hard. I, I really don't. When it comes to guys who got caught I'm cheating... Because I suspect a lot of... Because a person like me who is a cynic thinks a lot more guys cheated who, who if we're going to keep those two out, then I think we need to keep yeah. the era out, basically. Baseball also did not care that right. these guys cheated. Baseball did not care that these guys were putting steroids or performance enhancing drugs on their body. I think if you were to set up some sort of a system where, and, and they, I guess they, they sort of have it now, but it's not tied to the Hall of Fame, where, hey, this is our system. These are the banned substances. If you are caught with one of these banned substances once, you get suspended for 80 games. If you're caught twice, you're suspended for X amount of games, and you are no longer eligible for the Hall of Fame. That makes it easy. Okay, now you have now now it's out of the writer's hands. I think you should come up with some sort of partnership or some sort of tie-in. Here's the list, and here are the things we're already suspending players for. And if you test positive twice or once, even you are no longer eligible for the Hall of Fame. But that was an era where baseball didn't care. But don't you struggle personally? Because I do. Because one, the hypocrisy, including from people like us, I think, for me for sure, was so high. 98, how often did you run to your TV to see these bulked-up men who I didn't question? They look like cartoon characters in retrospect, and I didn't question it. And did I love it? Absolutely. I went to the Metro early for a Cardinals-Twins game to watch McGuire take BP. And so, one, my own hypocrisy bothers me. Two is, I almost would say that if you are going to take two of the greatest players from that era, and I think there's no question, no matter how much you might despise Bonds and Clemens, they are two of the greatest, that you should almost draw lines on the era and say nobody goes in from this era because we suspect all of you. That's my problem. I just find it hypocritical to well, be going like, back, going make your back, own judgment. Going back to my analogy then, then everybody just gets a ticket while they're on the off-ramp of the interstate. Because 75% of the people out there are speeding. That's what yeah. you're saying. You're saying just yes. punish everybody. Yes. And again, that doesn't make sense. Why not? You get caught, you get punished. But they didn't, the really, best, get, but they didn't really get caught. That's God, the problem. There's a book laying out how Barry Bonds cheated. There's an entire book. And we have multiple. We have we have court testimony. Right, but that's like if I but that, of Roger Clemens right. and what he did. But that's like if you speed home tonight and you don't get a ticket, and then I write a book in three years about the fact that on January what's today the twenty what you speeded and Rami was speeding. Should you be then retroactively punished at that time? I'm not defending the, these guys. What I'm saying to me is I don't I can't see it as crystal clear as if you were caught. You're punished, and yet I look at all these other mountains of men who get in, but they weren't technically caught. It's just very, I'm very conflicted. Also, I just again just going, going back to because a lot a lot of this to me is is a is a tangled web. I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are two of the greatest baseball players ever. Obviously, with the aid of performance enhancing drugs, I think, and this is just my own subject. If I'm a voter, this is my own subjectivity. I think if you take away the performance enhancing drugs, those are still two Hall of Fame caliber players. Maybe do, maybe Bonds doesn't break the all time record. How do we know that? How do we know when they started cheating? We don't exactly. Yeah, this is the problem. How do we know that they? Because, benef- but how do we know that they benefited at all from performance enhancing drugs? Because look at the numbers. Okay, but Babe Ruth hit a bunch of home runs too, right. relative to the league. Yeah, like Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth in like 1923, in the early to mid 20s, was hitting 40, 50, and 60 home runs. When teams weren't hitting 60 home runs. 
So do we have a mountain of evidence that Barry that Babe Ruth cheated? If we do, no. But we have a mountain of evidence uh, of evidence that one player can be that much more powerful than the rest of the league. And because one's caught, and everybody knew what they were doing, guys like Bonds and Clemens and McGuire and Sosa all lied about it. What do we? What did we say about the Astros when the allegations first came down that they were using electronic devices? We said, yeah, we believe that. They've lost any benefit. They lost the right to a benefit of the doubt. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, because they were lying and defiantly lying. Barry Bonds was suing newspapers and writers and trying to ruin people's lives who were exposing the fraud that he was. When you're defiantly lying, how do you get any benefit of the doubt for me that you weren't cheating in the no, first half I, of your career? I agree that he was cheating. How or, do I know or, he wasn't or, in the or, first or half? Or using steroids. I Maybe guess. he was just cheating better. He could have been. When he broke the home run record. But how do I know when he started? He could have been. He loses any benefit of the doubt with me. And, and, he's, the, and he's one of the greatest players ever. The thing I really can't wrap my head around, and we do this a lot, not just in baseball, but in society. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, most of these guys who are proven to be cheats, and you look at what they do in their personal lives, just not, they're not good people. Why, do we, why, do, why would you waste your time and energy Fighting for bad people. Like, there are a lot of good people out there who have been wronged in the sports because, world and outside of I'll the sports world. Who wastes their time and energy fighting for bad people who you feel were the victims of injustice? I don't care. I don't care that Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame but doesn't. I care because I see a bigger picture that these Halls of Fame are so flawed in how they do things and how they, they go about. And, I mean, these are not our brethren, but people in our business who vote, basically, right? And I think the system is so flawed and and people are making up their minds based on their own thought process that at times it has no rules, no nothing. So I'm not defending one guy. I'm frustrated by the entire system now and, and how we're like, well, that guy was a really bad guy, but he's not bad enough not to get in. But that guy cheated and so he can't get it. And so I'm frustrated by how the entire system works. That's my problem with it. Yeah, it's it, and then then you start to look at you start to look at the percentages, like, let's just go, Kurt Schilling is, is the next closest, and then Clemens and Bonds, and all of them, by the way, have two years left on the ballot, so it, it's it's going to be, I think Schilling gets in. But you can, like, honestly, you can look at almost all these players that have that are on the ballot, and look at the era they played in, and you could raise an eyebrow, Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, okay, well, Scott Rowland, well, he played smack dab in the middle of the early 2000s, too. And again, I just I simplify it myself by saying, how did they perform on the field? Period. How did they perform on the field? I actually think it's a more egregious cheating advantage. I would I would be more likely to hold Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve out of the Hall of Fame if proven that they were using buzzers. I don't feel a need to choose. Keep them all out. Fear cheating. Here's my out. other problem though. Okay, so this is supposed to be a hall that honors the greatest, the creme de la creme, right? The greatest players of all time. I mean, we're talking the greatest players of all time. Here's my other problem with the entire system and, and the actual honoring of people with plaques. A committee of basically veteran baseball people and, and a guy who managed, and God bless him, I watched Harold Baines, thought he was a really nice player, put Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame. The entire thing to me gets to be laughable at some point. And like, and with the shilling thing. So is that the line? If you're a racist and we find out and you tweeted, is that now the line? So if you do, st- if you did steroids and you cheated, 
And again, I'll have the conversations. I'm not. I'm not saying that there's black and white here. But if Schill, okay, Schilling, we know that he is a probably despicable person. So is that where we're drawing it now? And that's the thing. If but you, then if, another committee can just come around and say, "But Harold Baines, good guy." And if, and if you draw the Kurt Schilling racist line, then that means we have to take Ty Cobb out of the Hall of Fame. Okay, right? Like we have to, the, 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 <laughs> but that's what I just, <laughs> just get that's rid of the Hall of Fame. That's yeah, but people, that's what I'm saying. That's what people come always come back to me with, and whether it's on merit and Harold Baines, I agree, doesn't deserve to be in, or whether it's a character issue like Ty Cobb. I'm, my answer is always what it just was right now. Well, then we should take Ty Cobb out. All right. Sure. Then there, there's a, there's another layer to this too because. Listen, I, Rami and I disagree on Bonds and Clemens, but I, a lot of the points you're making, I agree with philosophically in, in life, in that if all of this just went away and we were left to our own thoughts on players as individuals and we can honor them in our minds however we want to, and they don't need to have a special building in Cooperstown with plaques, we don't need to be trying to parse apart whether they are cheaters or racists or bad human beings or murderers or whatever it is, you know, would would the world really be that much different? That's, no, that's because you could like, still we, have... We, we put so much stock into like, oh, that Hall of Fame line. But, but the museum, to me, would still exist, right? I think the museum's fantastic. Like, you can do a whole thing, and I guess they, they did, this summer of 98, celebrate it, and then say, what happened? But do we really need to have these plaques for certain people? You know, I'm I'm all for celebrate. I love the sport. Let's celebrate it. Flaws and all, because it's got flaws. God knows it's got flaws. But where this whole thing goes with, well, but these guys are going to get to give a speech. And I just, I, I'm just tired of it. Yeah. Hopefully the guy that didn't vote for Derek Jeter doesn't get his ass kicked or do something. You think or his he house thought, paper. Do you think he <laughs> thought, oh, Mariano, yeah, but that's going to be the last one for a long time. Yeah. I, I'm not going to be the fool that votes for Jeter because 50 other people aren't. I was hoping it was Patrick. Honestly, I was hoping so bad. It I was thought he racing. was serious yesterday when he said it was. <laughs> Dude, ah, so disappointing. That's uh, amazing. Like, you look at this list. I've got the whole list up here. So Hank Aaron, you know, retires as the as the home run king. Nine guys didn't vote I'm for Hank right Aaron. Now. Yes, nine writers didn't vote for Hank Aaron. Tony Gwynn, just flat out one of the greatest hitters of all time. Right, thirteen people didn't vote for him. Randy Johnson. Fifteen didn't vote for Randy Johnson. It's it's just it's it's pretty amazing. So anyhow, Mackie and Judd with Rami. Look at Willie on. Mays. Four hundred thirty-two votes cast in nineteen seventy-nine. Yeah, he got four hundred nine. Willie Mays. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So because you never put a guy in first ballot back then. Keep, keep on, keep it on. In other news, when we come back here. And by the way, if you have thoughts on what we just debated here, you can tweet at any of us at Phil Mackie at Jay Zolgad. At Rami is tweeting. Before we get to Josh here, let's talk about TCL quick, Judd. TCL is America's fastest growing TV brand. And TCL is uh, sweeping all of the major local retailers by storm here on the Twin Cities. You can walk into any Target, any major local retailer, and you can find out with your own two eyes why TCL is the best combination of picture quality, sound quality, too, with the Alto soundbar that just came out, and also connectivity to 500,000 TV show episodes and 5,000-plus streaming channels. I am a cord cutter. That's right. I've had cable for my whole life. Finally cut the cord about three weeks ago. YouTube TV. Uh, So we have kind of a combination of like YouTube TV, Hulu, ESPN Plus, and a couple others, and we patch it together, and it's been amazing for three weeks. Uh, I I love having one remote, too, just the Roku remote. 
to toggle back and forth between any of these streaming channels. So if you're a cord cutter, there's no better TV than a TCL TV. You just need Wi-Fi and you are up and running. TCLUSA.com to find out more. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll answer that pressing question here in a second, Glenn. But first, Romstein is live at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday, August 30th. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. at Romstein.com. Download the Score North app now for your chance to win tickets to the show. Kirk Cousins, as I mentioned last time, was out at the Pro Bowl playing in it this weekend because he was an alternate vote-in. And he was talking with NFL Network about a possible contract extension saying... I think it's still pretty early right now, but uh, you know those conversations will happen in time, and uh, I've got enough to focus on, you know, with uh, getting ready for this next season. But uh, you know, certainly love Minnesota and would love to be there for for a long time. That's been your score, North Download. Now back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. Ish. That means it's time to take a break from all the hard-hitting sports talk that we bring you here on Score North, like how many kindergartners would it take to kill you, and bring you some of the more weird and wacky news from around the world. <laughs> By the way, is, are we we're 25 still? Is 25? I think 25 is the number that we're going to... I think that's, that's the median. I think that's the average of how many kindergartners... 20 would get would me. Take. You think so? Yeah. 20? You'd just be worn out by it? My heart would go. <laughs> There's no question. My See, heart but you got to think about how many you could fight off right. first. You and know what I that's mean? That's when my heart would go. <laughs> I'd be at like I'd be fine through ten, and, and ten yeah, to fifteen like, w- would wear me out. Fifteen to twenty would kill. Dude, me. there's some pro MMA fighters that punch themselves out after five minutes. That's true. Right? Yeah. yeah, I've seen that. But that's why know. Brock Lesnar's fights are all so quick. I think that's the key to answering the question: is how many can you fight off before you're just overwhelmed by the kindergartners? That's the question. Jonathan brings up Brock Lesnar. Yeah. How many would it take to take Brock Lesnar down? Well, I got to think how long he would care for. <laughs> probably not going to care that long, so probably get through five and just like, what do you mean? All what right, do you mean? let's get this over. Here. <laughs> what? No, it's it's a fight to the okay. death. No, 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 he here's won't a, care. Here's a question: you the news? Would you rather fight? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're going to ask. I know what you're going to ask. One Brock Lesnar size kindergartner. (laughs) 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 Or 20. (laughs) I can't even finish the question. I can't even get it out. In other news. Let's get serious, guys. Oh, Brooke. my goodness. That's such a great question. I think that needs to be a poll question. All right. <laughs> if you're fighting 20 Brock Lesnar-sized kindergartners, does that mean you have 20... No, 20 kindergarten-sized yeah. Brock Lesners yeah, or one have, <laughs> Brock Lesnar-sized kindergarten. Does that mean you have 20 kindergartner-sized Paul Heyman's introducing him? I can go for that. 
All right, let's compose ourselves, guys. We have serious business to get to. When I first read this headline, I thought this could be Judd Zolgad if it didn't take place in Brooklyn. Brooklyn man registers beer as emotional support animal. Brooklyn resident Floyd Hayes, 47, registered a pint of beer as an emotional support animal with the USA Service Dog registration in December. Brooklyn paper reports that Hayes aims to use the certification to carry his beverage of choice, like, say, a seasonal IPA on public transit. Are you a, an IPA guy, Judd? Oh, yeah. I love IPA. Judd's like, I've, I've done this exact thing. <laughs> yeah. Love a good IPA. <laughs> he says, I travel upstate from Brooklyn a lot, yep. and on the bus, they say it's a federal crime to smoke or have an alcoholic beverage unless by prior written contest and I always have I always wondered where you get that or excuse me consent no they wrote contest I didn't misread it they miswrote it and then got it right the second time where you get that consent Hayes a creative director originally from England told the publication not that I'm an alcoholic he added but Hayes tells the post he simply wants to see if this method was work would work. He said, it was really just an experiment, he says, adding that it was a lighthearted move. I'm not trying to make light of anybody who has any emotional issues. I don't mean it in a heady mental health manner, the Clinton Hill resident told the Brooklyn paper. More if you go to party and want to break the ice. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I find this story to be strange. So the moral of the story here is that people turn to alcohol for emotional support i mean <laughs> I guess. right yeah and if you see every every, every red blooded american have you seen some of the animals that people are registering as emotional support animals that get on planes or other forms of public transport it's ridiculous i'd much rather you get on on the bus with a beer than with a peacock or a pig i don't want to be or some of the other crazy stuff that, i've seen but what is the standard now because to rami's point I have seen some what I consider to be a bit odd emotional support. And I love dogs, by the way. Dude, I saw a video of a lady who got on an airplane with an emotional support animal. It was a miniature horse. (laughs) She brought a miniature horse onto an airplane (laughs) that just sat there with her. (laughs) And she didn't have to buy an extra seat. This thing was just like hanging out in front of her. Was it domestically trained? I mean, it's it's an emotional support animal. I'm assuming it has some kind of training, but is it house trained? And if so, is it just going on a plane? And if so, what do we do with that? How about an emu? <laughs> an emotional support emu. That's the next. Like, news. like those commercials? Yeah, the lim- uh, the the lemu emu? emu. Yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a quick story here from the DenverChannel.com. In other news, a 19 year old. Man from Green Lake, Colorado, with murder tattooed on his forehead, (laughs) has been sentenced to more than three decades behind bars for murder. Murder. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Fatally shooting a man in 2018. Leonardo Biorato of Greeley was sentenced to 32 years in prison plus mandatory parole in December of 2019. He pleaded guilty to one count of second degree murder in the month prior. I'm going to show you his photo. There he is we're, with a tattoo that says murder surprised. on his forehead. Nope, not surprised. I mean, is that a confession? But like, if you go around with that, you are basically tipping your hand. Or does it say red rum? And then he looks in the mirror and... <laughs> like The Shining? We suspect you of murder. Why do you suspect me of murder? Because murder is tattooed on your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he says that like in arguments, just to, just to forewarn the opposing, you know... What'd you, what'd you say to me? What are you going to do about it? 
I he just got, points to his well, face. Well, I got murder tattooed on my forehead. I think if I saw a guy with that tattooed, I would not. I'd be like, sir, whatever you need. Good. I'm yeah. just going to go home right now. In other news. Jonathan, do you want to fire this first before I read this? Philadelphia police are investigating whether the Flyers mascot, Gritty, may have assaulted a 13-year-old boy. What in the world? Chris Greenwell claims that Gritty punched his son in the back as hard as he could during an exclusive event for season ticket holders. This was back in November. Well, he went to the police after he was not able to come to an agreement about the incident with the Flyers owner, Comcast Spectacor. As I asked for an apology, I asked for a investigation of why this happened, you know, what was behind it. Uh, maybe Gritty was having a bad day. I, I don't know. What? <laughs> the Flyers organization issued a statement saying that they conducted a thorough investigation that found nothing to support this claim. Okay, that takes care of the story. Can I tell you guys right now, I am beyond upset about this, and it has nothing to do with the young kid that was punched. Gritty Man is the greatest mascot I've ever seen, okay? And let's say he gave the kid a shove or something. Really? Really? We're going to... It's on brand. They said he punched exactly. him, they said he punched him okay. full force, Judd. Two things. <laughs> in the face? Is it in, in the, the back. Oh. In the back. Two so things got- about this, okay? One, his name's Gritty. So Phil's right. It's on brand. Two, it's Philadelphia. And as a guy who's been to Philadelphia, yeah, that's gritty. Look at this picture. Yeah, I know. So if you got so if, if that mascot punched you and you turn around, you're like, what the and you're like, oh, it's gritty. Okay? Well, are you are you saying that like you would enjoy being punched by gritty be the mascot? Happy to be punched by gritty? If it's gritty, yeah. Yeah, what you're I'm in? saying is that and Athlete and challenge. if I'm in Philadelphia, if I'm in Philadelphia you know what? Bring it on. Nordy, Nordy, right now, you come to our studios and you can punch me right See, now. I think, I, I think this is a far more serious This matter. is a score North Athlete Challenge. It is. Okay, Judge I'll take fighting the punch. You know what? I can take the punch. I think this is a far more serious matter than you're making it out to be, Judd. Because, can we see that picture again, Mackie, of Gritty? So how would you describe this to the audience? I love Gritty. I, I, I suspect that there are either... There's either drug abuse or mental health issues at play. With Gr- look at those eyes, Gritty hasn't blinked he has, in three decades. He has the eyes of a crazy person. Who's there's something who wrong with Gritty, man? And Adam Gase or Gritty? You know, Gritty. <laughs> That's close. I don't know that we Gritty need- looks like a certain politician, but I can't place his name right now. I don't know that. I don't know that Gritty should be. Out in the public, greeting fans. I just don't. I don't know if this he's... This is one of the greatest mascots of all time. I don't don't make me punch you. I'm not saying that he's not a great mascot. I'm just saying I don't know that he's fit to serve his duties as the mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. Hell, what do you think? He may need real help. I think this 13-year-old is proving that he's just not... He's not cut out for Philadelphia sports. <laughs> exactly culture. right. Thank you much. I think... Uh, in other news... Your society needs to be a little tougher. You know what? If you can't take a beer can to the head before an Eagles game, then you can't take Philadelphia, okay? Yeah. You're worthless. And you're going to amount to nothing in life. Really. Go in Eagles. other news... I, again, thought this story might be Judd Zolgad until I saw the name in the story. I'm sure it's not. A man yes. who was shot three times during a brawl with a taxi driver asked for a beer after stumbling into a nearby gas station, a report said. The victim, who was not identified, got into a fight with driver Philip Palmer in Moscow, Ohio last Friday night. A local NBC affiliate reported Palmer allegedly pulled a gun and fired at the man, hitting him at least three times, according to the report. Palmer drove off, and the victim stumbled into a nearby gas station where he asked for a beverage from a clerk who called 911. Quote, 
I'm good. Get me a beer, he says, according to a 911 call published by the station. The clerk tells him, I can't, baby. I'm saving you. The suspect was arrested a short time later and hit with felony assault charges. The victim is expected to recover from his wounds. You guys ever buy beer from gas stations? Uh, I have. It's, Minnesota it's does, three, not, it, does not allow it, right? It was, it, isn't it 3-2 beer? It was 3-2 beer two okay. here. I, I don't know what, you can't get what the, the rules thing. are now, but yeah. So the answer is yes. Because back in the old days, if you try to buy beer on a Sunday, which now you can buy in liquor stores, but for years and years, obviously, you couldn't buy from liquor stores on Sundays. They did sell it, I believe, in gas stations on Sundays. So the answer is yes. I stumbles. Was he bleeding? But I never got shot. He was shot that. three times. Yeah, he was bleeding. So he just had a beer. Other news. Fix it. The the part of the story that's weird to me is this: the gas station clerk calling him baby. He just calls him random dude baby. You know what? I've been called. People call you baby now. I find what? more. I'm not saying it's right, man. I'm saying I've had some people call me baby. Older women sometimes. <laughs> it's a little bit off. What? Hold no. on. There's stories here. I want to know these no, stories. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, it's just, it's a second nature thing for some people. They call, they say baby like they would, like a guy would say fella or something. I don't know. Doesn't Jimmy G do that? Yes. He yeah. Got, didn't he almost get in trouble for doing well, it? Well, he sort of did with. Yeah. Oh, with Aaron Andrews. What, yeah, that's yeah, right. But. Yeah, people, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't. Baby. I don't doubt this. I, I, it hasn't happened to me. I mean, I also look like I'm homeless. So, other <laughs> news. Like doesn't. I mean, Judd's a clean-shaven, good-looking guy. The Bronny man. <laughs> In other news, this is from CBSNews.com. A man. It also involves another mugshot. A man from Utah was arrested this week when police found almost $4 million worth of illicit drugs in his car in Arizona, according Whoa. to CBS Utah. That's right. Logan Lewis, uh, Logan Lewis Peterson, 30 years old, was pulled over on Interstate 15 near the Utah border on Monday afternoon. KUTV said Peterson, quote, appeared extremely nervous during the traffic stop. <laughs> the station said uh, a canine unit assisted, and that's when the narcotics were found inside his white sedan. The vehicle was searched, and here's what police found. Six one-gallon jugs weighing a total of 66 pounds filled with a liquid substance that field tested positive for methamphetamine. Six bricks of cocaine that weighed 13 pounds. A thousand packages of candy infused with THC that weighed 206 pounds and 2.2 pounds of, I have no idea how to pronounce that word, but its uh, abbreviation is MDMA. And the, the headline in the story is, what would your mugshot look like if you were caught and arrested having $4 million worth of drugs in your car? And this is what the guy looks like. <laughs> oh, wow. He's just got a giant smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> this, might, this might as well be his senior picture in the yearbook. For a dude with long hair, he looks good. He's not getting out of jail for a while, and he's embracing it. There's a uh, $4 million dollars a in picture. drugs. There's a Biggie Small song called The Ten Crack Commandments. And uh, one of the Ten Crack Commandments is never get high on your own supply. That dude broke one of the Ten Crack Commandments. Sure. 100%. 100%. Sure. Other news. <laughs> 100%. Dateline, Harlan, Iowa. A Kansas man has asked an Iowa judge to let him engage in a sword fight with his ex-wife and her attorney so that he can, quote, rend their souls from their bodies. What? <laughs> David what? Ostrom, 40 of, it looks like, Paloa, Kansas, said in a January 3rd court filing that his former wife... And her attorney had, quote, destroyed him legally. The Ostroms have been embroiled in disputes over custody and visitation issues and property uh, tax payments. 
Let's see here. The, the judge had the power to let the parties resolve our disputes on the field of battle legally, David Ostrom said, adding this filing that trial by combat, quote, has never been explicitly banned or restricted as a right in these United States. Is this story from the 1300s? This is from, <laughs> this is not, this is a legit story from Huffington what? Post that just happened. He also asked the judge for 12 weeks' time so he could secure Japanese samurai swords for himself. What? <laughs> his motion filed in Shelby County Court District um, stemmed from his frustrations with his ex-wife's attorney, Ostrom, told the Des Moines Register. I-, I think I've met Mr. Hudson's absurdity with his own absurdity, Ostrom said, adding that his former wife could choose Hudson to act as her champion. He argued in the legal response that because a duel could end in death, such ramifications likely outweigh those of property Uh, tax and custody issues. Hudson asked the judge to reject the request for trial by combat. The judge said in his own filing Monday that he won't be issuing a decision anytime soon, cititing irregularities with both sides' motions and responses. Okay, of all all the possible ways to, to die, I think like getting killed in a sword fight, is is one of my top two or three like anxieties. <laughs> anxieties. Think about that. Like I thought you were gonna say one of the top guys, two or three coolest ways to die. Could you guys do a no, sword no, fight? Cool. Could you guys like if someone said, Hey, right now, this is like, your your life's on the line and you have to win a sword fight against somebody else. No, I've never wielded a sword. Well that's why you gotta secure Wait, my land sword. That's what I'm saying. It's no. scary. No. Well you have to practice. How do you practice sword fighting? Is it me against somebody else who's never wielded a sword? Yeah, they they also have never wielded a sword. I mean, yeah, let's do it. Or it's or <laughs> let's rumble, baby. It's, it's ten kindergartners with knives. <laughs> oh my Can I ask a quick question? What, what would be your strategy? I think mine would be to come out swinging, yeah, flailing, and wildly. just go right helicopter. Just do hel- just do yeah. the helicopter. Same as the twenty five kindergartners. Okay. Just just flailing, just flailing, and hopefully you walk into the place. We got two two minutes left. If you have another one, Robbie. Oh man, I don't know if I can get this in in two minutes. A Milton School District English teacher retiring later this month. You already know the story, don't you? No. Nope. Will pay six thousand seventy dollars for defecating on buildings in a public park for more than two years. Oh yeah, I saw the story. Jeffrey S. Churchwell, sixty of Elkhorn, has been defecating sometimes several times per day yeah. outside of and on a building at Natureland Park in the Rock County town of Whitewater since twenty seventeen. Churchwell, cited for disorderly conduct, agreed to pay a fine um, to, as restitution. I'm trying to skip ahead because I know we're short on time. Uh, the school board These were your people, by the approved way, the high school Wisconsin. English teacher's retirement retirement as part of a December 18th staffing report. Um, let's see here. I want to get to his explanation of why this happened. On October 8th, the deputy saw Churchwell's vehicle driving near the park after they had suspected somebody was doing this for a while, stopped him as he was driving into the park, Told authorities had photographic evidence. Churchwell acknowledged his behavior and said he was, quote, being an idiot. He said he runs in the park and changes in the bathroom and that he also occasionally defecates in the park on his way to work at Milton High School. He said he had been doing it since summer, but later admitted he had been doing it for more than a year. When asked why he did it, Churchwell said stupidity, according to the sheriff's office report. The report also says Churchwell stated he had done it at the park to be disrespectful and for the convenience. Okay, is he bringing along his own toilet paper roll? I don't know. But I, he went through the trouble of I climbing. I read the story at one time, and I think he did. He climbed but to where the... where does he put the, the, the I think he hit it by the thing. By the thing that he defecated on. This dude was climbing to the top of buildings to poop. Like, that's not what... 
It's a high, it's a high <laughs> wire act, Rami. That's commitment. That's it's a high yeah, wire that's what act. I'm saying. Take that to the circus. <laughs> I feel like the flying Walenda should migrate to that. Listen, I know we've, we've listen. We already crossed the Grand Canyon on a high wire. We've run out of. Well, let me get this straight. What's left we, to do at this point? Halfway, halfway through the high wire, just pop a squat. Rami, is this what you do to avoid going to the bathroom in public? You just climb up on top of buildings. Uh, so we start. We started the show that. fighting kindergartners, <laughs> and we ended with a guy defecating in the park. It's been a great show. And in between, we talked about Andrew. Rami. And in between, we talked about Andrew Wiggins' play last night. So it's all pretty fitting. It ties together. In other news. That is in other news every Thursday here at five thirty on Mackie and Judd with Rami. You can find our podcast on the Score North app, which is free to download, or you can subscribe and give us a five star review on Apple or Spotify. We'll catch you guys tomorrow. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.